praise the Lord. Well, Rob said that this was a leadership um, training time, and I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord uh, wanted me to speak about worship. <clears throat> and I thought that's strange because that's not a normal leadership topic, um, but I, I went with it. And I just thought about how actually great leaders are great worshipers, and the strength of a leader comes out of their worship of God and their, their times of intimate worship with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. I'm, I'm very conscious that Jill is like the guru on worship, and so I'm not an expert on this, but hey, we've got to just do what the Lord tells us to do, amen? Yeah. If he tells us to talk on something, then we do it. So um, if anyone wants to ask questions or chip in or give a comment, that's absolutely fine. Tonight is not a presentation. It's more let's, let's discuss a topic and, and seek the Lord's will. Amen? So praise the Lord. Ephesians 5 is where I want to start. <clears throat> and it talks about husbands and wives. And then at the end, it says it's talking about Christ and the church. It's, it's like a little bit of a surprise ending to the passage. So he starts off all the way back in Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying they, they're kind of similar. Don't do the one, do the other. It'll, it'll meet the same need deep inside. If you get drunk on wine, it's because you're trying to get some Dutch courage, or you're trying to escape your problems, or you're trying to just... Uh, find some peace, he says, get filled with the Spirit. It'll give you the same result. Um, and sometimes you look a bit drunk when you're filled with the Spirit. And then he carries on speaking to one another. So it's, it's part of the same topic, getting filled with the Spirit and, and being close to Jesus on the inside of us. We'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's being filled with the Spirit and worshiping go together. Amen? They really do. Um, whenever people were filled with the Spirit in the Bible, something came out of their mouth, and it almost always included praise and worship, as well as tongues and various other things. But worshiping the Lord comes out of His Spirit filling us. And so I guess my first question is, how, how much are you worshiping, not just on a Sunday, but just... Just generally, how's that relationship? And then he goes on submitting to one another. <clears throat> wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church. Um, husbands, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. He's giving this picture of marriage as a, as a really intimate and beautiful thing where the husband actually sees the wife as his own body. And there's actually quite a few ways you could go from here where you could talk about how in, in marriage our bodies are not our own, they're each other's, and Jesus looks after his body, who's his wife. And there's, there's all sorts of applications to this. But marriage, the main thing I want to say tonight is that marriage is such an intimate thing in God's sight. Um, and then he goes on to say, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And that, that's where I want to end up in a minute. But let's just think about Adam and Eve. <coughs> God says uh, he's made Adam, um, but there was no suitable helper or companion. 
And so then he brings all the different animals to Adam, and Adam looks at them and he names them. Um, Adam's got authority, he's got a job, he's got dominion over God's creation, but God says it's not good <laughs> that man should be alone. So everything's good. You know, the, throughout the whole of creation, the first five days, God just thunders out every day, it is good. He makes this thing, it is good, it is good. And then suddenly he makes Adam and he gives him all this power and it's his, he's put everything of himself into Adam and he gives him dominion, rulership over everything. And he, he, he's, it says whatever he named the animals, that was its name. God didn't interfere and say, oh, I don't, I don't think hippopotamus is such a good name. You know, it was like, <laughs> it just whatever, whatever you name it, that's its name. You, you just come up with a name, you know. And, but then he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Suddenly, there's like, you can almost imagine the angels going, what? It's not good? What's going on? And this is before the fall. There's no sin, but he says, it's not good. And I'll make a helper suitable for him. And he takes out of Adam. And so it says, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. In other words, male and female are God's image, not just the man. It's together, they're they're God's image. By the way, if you're not married, I'm not getting down on you. You're not half a person. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to show here that actually, the whole concept of marriage is bound up in God trying to show us how He wants to relate to us. And so God says, um, "I'll make a helper," and He and He brings the woman to the man. And there's incredible closeness, intimacy. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing. Um, wrong between them. There's just complete openness and intimacy and intimacy with God. They're talking to God in the garden in the cool of the day and with each other. It's beautiful. And then again and again through the Bible, the book of Hosea and various times in the prophets in the Old Testament, he talks about Israel as his bride, as his wife. And then Jesus comes along to um, save us and to give birth to the church. And the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. And this relationship, this intimacy, is, you know, we can get all theoretical about it, and we can think, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just a concept. But actually, I just want us to think about this today. That closeness of a husband and wife, where you are that close, you share everything, there's nothing in between you, is that a picture of your relationship with Jesus? Or or have we got into this institutional kind of, I go through the motions, I say the things. When I'm together with other people, I, I worship. But I'm not intimate with him like a husband and wife is. Is it possible that actually we've missed this important point of intimacy with God, this worship thing, and we've just got into doing all the things, all the actions and saying all the right words, but we actually aren't intimate with Jesus. Because it's important. It's essential. It's so important that on a daily basis, we're having time where we're talking to the Lord, where He's talking to us, where we're open with Him, where we're transparent with Him, where we share our innermost thoughts, where we say, like David does, Oh Lord, I'm feeling terrible. I mean, he doesn't say those exact words, but he says, How long, O oh Lord, will you, will you leave us forever? Lord, please, will you break the jaw of my enemies? He's just so honest with God. He doesn't say, you know, ritual words and liturgies. He's just honest and open with God. 
That is so important for us as Christians. And it's, in fact, the wellspring of everything else in our Christian life, that intimacy. If you haven't got that, you can do all the other things. You can know the Bible. You can be a perfect church member. So we can have all the, all the other outward signs of Christianity. But I just want to talk tonight about that intimacy, that, that real closeness. That real closeness. I mean, let's just be real with ourselves. You don't even have to admit it to anyone else. How close are you? How's that intimacy between you and Jesus? Do you have times where you pour out your heart to him? Where you just spend time with him just for the sake of it? Where you talk to him just like a friend? Where you listen to him and you let him talk to you? Where you just love to be with him? <laughs> Not because there's a band and a person telling you to, but actually you're just spending time with the Lord quite challenging for myself as well. Jesus said in John chapter 10, several times, my sheep know my voice, hear my voice, and I call them by name. Let let me just read you a couple of verses. John 10 verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sign that Jesus said of being his sheep is we know his voice. That voice of the Lord where he talks to us and we we sense it and there's a closeness. Awesome, eh? Okay. David, I just want to talk about David for a bit because he's the best example in my mind of this intimacy with God. He's an Old Testament character, King David. But he's really a New Testament guy just... 800 years before his time, isn't he? I mean, he, he really is. He just, he acts like a New Testament Christian. He loves the Lord. You know, the Bible says he was the youngest of his brothers and he was kind of pushed down and, and treated badly by the rest of them. When, when uh, the prophet Samuel comes to, to anoint the king, they don't even bother calling David. You know, it can't be him. And then when he goes and, and his brothers are all fighting uh, the Philistines at the front there, David goes and he, and he brings some supplies. And his brothers are really horrible to him. They say, what do you want? What, who are you? What, come on, get out of here. He was downtrodden and, and kind of not one of the what, what included in the family circle. And he was sent off to the fields, the Bible says, and he looked after his father's sheep and he would spend Days out there on his own in the bush looking after these little sheep. And he says, I fought against lions and bears to protect these sheep. And we know from the Psalms that he got his strength in those times. When he was all alone, outcast from his family, he could have got bitter, could have got twisted. He could have been upset. He could have got a chip on his shoulder. But what he did was he found his strength in the Lord. He learned to be intimate with God. So then a, a lion or a bear comes along. He gets the courage and strength from the Lord. He fights the thing. He protects the sheep. He's learning to get intimacy with the Lord. Then when it comes time to kill Goliath, it's easy for him because he's, he's got that in him already. The, the presence of the Lord, the spirit, the intimacy with the Lord. He's listening to the Lord's voice. Everyone else in Israel is saying, oh, we can't fight against this guy. The Philistines are shouting and screaming, and he says, this is wrong. I I can do this. God is with me. Where did he get that courage? It came from all those hours of spending time with the Lord. 
playing with his little guitar or whatever it was, worshiping the Lord, singing the Psalms to the Lord. And this intimacy just grew and the strength grew inside of him. Isn't that amazing? The Bible actually says that Saul, the king, had an evil spirit. And David would come in and start worshiping the Lord and the evil spirit would leave. He's a New Testament guy in the Old Testament, isn't he? I mean, there's, there's some power in this guy. There's something in David. God says, he's a man after my own heart. There's a, there's a closeness there. There's something different about David. Now, David wasn't perfect. He messed up a lot and he, you know, he did a lot of wrong things and he made mistakes. Um, do you remember the time he was trying to bring the ark into Jerusalem? Um, and he, he, I haven't got time to read it now, but he basically says, I need the presence of the Lord here in Jerusalem. I built a nice house for myself, but what about the Lord's house? Let's bring the ark into Jerusalem. And he brings it, but he does it wrong. He doesn't follow the prescribed way that the, that the Lord says you should carry the ark. And so one of the guys touches the ark and is killed. And David is scared and he leaves the ark um, in Obed-Edom's house. And it says that everything in Obed-Edom's house just started to prosper and, and was blessed and flourished. And you could imagine huge crops growing and, you know, just amazing health and blessing. And it says David heard about this and he thought, right, let me go and get the ark. And this time he does it correctly. Every six steps, they carry the ark. Every six steps, they sacrifice a bull. I mean, that's thousands of animals they were sacrificing. And it says David was dancing before the Lord in an abandoned way. So much so that his wife, Michelle, or Michael, however you pronounce it, looks and despises him. And he gets back to her and she says, oh, how you've distinguished yourself, disrobing in front of the servant girls. And he says, I'll be even more undignified than this, but the Lord will honor me. He's, there's something in his heart of worship and praise and abandon to God where he says, I love the Lord and I will worship him. And it's more important to me than anything, even my reputation, even my position, you know, before other people. Again, how's that for you? Is worship, is it important to you? Or is it just a little thing that we add on or we do? And, you know, it's just a prelude to a sermon every now and again, or I'll listen to some tapes or CDs or DVDs or whatever. But is it, is it that close? Is it that essential to you? Worship. Right. I want to just look at a couple of things about David and worship, if that's okay. Psalm 95 is written by David. And he says this. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. This is the beginning where David just abandons himself in worship. Where there's just exuberant praise. Let us shout. Let us praise him. Let us go mad for the Lord. Um, there's times of that where we just, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm walking, um, I, I like to 
pray and, and worship when I'm walking. And sometimes I'm walking and I just feel like just shouting and jumping and running. And I just do it. I just started, I've, I've just learned now it's better to do it than to harden your heart. And there's something of a release. It's like, you know, it's like a husband and wife relationship where there's those times of just fun and joy and exuberance and, and, and celebration. How's that in your life? How's that aspect of worship? Then he goes on, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now he moves into worship, into intimacy, into closeness, into quietness, reverence, uh, listening to the Lord. Um, it, it's this process of exuberance into, into quietness, and he, and he goes into, let's worship the Lord Kneel before the Lord our Maker. And then he says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's almost like the process leads to us hearing his voice. I'm exuberant. I'm quiet. I, I go from the outside gates of the temple. I go into the Holy of Holies. I go into the holy place. And then I go into the Holy of Holies where I hear his voice. I come right into his presence. <clears throat> today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I believe that a lot of us would hear God's voice much, much more. Just like my sheep hear my voice, we would know His voice if we would just spend time worshiping rather than just saying, Lord, I've got five minutes uh, before I've got to go to work. Please, would you say something? You know what I mean? And David was a man's man. You know, sometimes we as males think, oh, this worship stuff is not for me. You know, it's for the ladies. Um, you know, all this interpretive sensitivity stuff, that's not for me. I, you know, I can't really relate to that. David was, I mean, he was a man's man. He was a warrior. Saul, his father-in-law, says, you can marry this girl if you go and get a hundred Philistine foreskins. <laughs> so he just goes out and kills a hundred Philistines, you know. He was, he was an, a, a warrior of note. He really was a red-blooded guy. Um, a lot of aggression and power. But there was this ability to get close and intimate with the Lord. It's essential. I, I really don't believe we can hear the Lord's voice if we don't. I, I honestly believe that. I think the power of us as Christians and, and the strength of hearing His voice and being led by Him, it just won't happen if we don't spend time worshiping Him. I just believe that. Right. I'd like to look at a, a, another little story from David. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Thanks, bro. So, 1 Samuel chapter 30. You, you may actually know the story already. It's very possible, but I'll just repeat it again. Verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So the picture is David and his men and, and all their families are camped in the city called Ziklag. And while they're off doing some exploits, 
the enemy come in, they sack the city, they take all his goods, they burn the city, and they take the wives and the children away. Is that a bad day? That is an awful day. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine you come home from work, your house is burnt down, and your wife and kids have been kidnapped. I mean, that's exactly what he went through. Awful. And all of the men, it wasn't just one or two, all of the men had the same thing happen. So, uh, verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Isn't that amazing? They wept until they had no more power to weep. I mean, that's serious sadness and depression. Verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David, verse 6, was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Not only does David have the loss of his own family, but every one of his men is talking about killing him. Friends, I don't know about you, but I've never been in this much pressure as David was on this day. It doesn't matter what you've been through, loss of a job, theft, death of a relative, whatever. Nothing is as bad as what David went through this day. It really was awful. It was extreme, extreme stress and pressure. Your, all your men turn against you. I mean, boy, where do you turn? What do you do? You just, you collapse. You have a nervous breakdown. That's what most of us would do. But listen to what it says at the end of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You know what it was? It was years and years of worship. Years of learning to be intimate with God. Years of hearing the voice of God and obeying that gave him the ability to find strength where there was just no earthly or human way of, of getting through this thing. There was no other way. But he strengthened himself in the Lord as God. How did he do that? There are many Psalms, as I've already said, where David is just honest before the Lord. So I'm going to going to give you some ideas of how I think David did it. First of all, I believe he was honest. Psalm 10 verse 1 gives us an example. He says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. So David was real. He was real. How many times do we come to God and we say what we think we ought to say? Or we say what we've heard somebody else say we should say. David didn't do that. He was in touch enough with his own emotions that he could put them into words and be completely bare before the Lord and say, God, this is my situation. This is how I feel. I am completely angry. I'm upset. I'm sad. I'm broken. Whatever it is. He was real before the Lord. And I believe that that is essential. That's the starting point. If we come with a mask on, you know, oh, thou dust God, Lord, seasonist brethren. You know, it's just, we're weird. There, there's no reality. It's, it's like a husband and wife. Imagine you come in, you know, from a hard day at work and your wife says, oh, thou darlingest husband, what would thou like us? You know, it's just not real. 
There's got to be a genuine, there's got to be a genuineness where we just are real. And I know sometimes, you know, I, I'm, I believe in faith. And sometimes those of us who talk about faith, we can give the impression that you don't say how you really feel. But that's not what the Bible says. I say how I really feel. I'm honest. But then, a bit like I said this morning, that is real. The reality of what David had gone through was real. But then he saw another reality on top of that, a greater reality. His, the eyes of his heart saw another reality. An illustration that I meant to give this morning, which I didn't, I forgot to give, but I'll give now is <clears throat> we have some big glass doors in our house, in our lounge, and outside the glass doors, there's the most magnificent view of the sea. And I can stand in my lounge at certain times of the day, and I can look through the glass doors, and I can see a reflection of myself, and beyond the reflection, I can see the beauty of the sea. And I've got to choose which one am I going to look at? <laughs> am I going to look at me? Or am I going to look at that beauty? And, and it's exactly the same. I, all the time, I've got the, the present reality of this world, but there's another reality, and I choose. It's not that one's true and the other's not true. It's they're both true, and I've just got to gain strength from what is there, the Lord's power. So in that same psalm, Psalm 10, verse 16, the very next verse, he's just been saying, why are you standing afar off? Break the arm of the wicked. Verse 16, he says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. He, he starts affirming what he knows to be true. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I love Psalm 103, which was also written by David. The Psalms are just awesome, by the way. You can, you can get so much strength from reading how David prayed. And it's like we've got an insight into his private times when he was alone in the field with his guitar, looking after the sheep, worshiping God. And he was sad and he was struggling. We get an insight by reading the Psalms and we can copy that. It's, it's awesome. But Psalm 103 <clears throat> is just one of many. But he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who is he talking to there? <laughs> He's saying, soul, I'm talking to you now. He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own emotions, <coughs> his own thoughts, his own feelings, his mind. He's talking to himself. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm and quieten myself here. I'm going to take some authority and I'm talking to myself. Soul, bless the Lord. You're very upset. You've lost your wives and your children and your men are wanting to kill you. But soul, listen to me now. Bless the Lord. Remember some things that you've learned and that you know are true. Bless the Lord. And forget not all his benefits. He starts to tell his soul what to think. <laughs> listen, he goes on. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your soul is renewed like the eagles. This is how David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He was honest. He was intimate. He worshipped God. And then he started telling his soul some home truths that his soul needed to understand. Isn't that interesting? And strength starts coming in. I'm telling you, this story in, in 1 Samuel 30 of David 
overcoming. Because what happened next is he said, Lord, should we go and get them back? God says, go. And he goes and he gets it all back. We wouldn't. Most of us wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I would just crumble into a heap and say, well, oh, well. But he strengthened himself in the Lord and he overcame with a power that is supernatural. And it doesn't come by just, um, you know, a five-minute little prayer time or going to somebody else for prayer. You know, I've got this problem. Please, brother, wonderful, would you just pray and lay hands on me and let's just get the anointing. Let's just break this thing and sort of. No, no, it comes from hours of me getting intimate with the Lord, where there's this reservoir of intimacy and strength and and knowledge of the Lord and learning to quieten my soul and learning to worship the Lord, being real with Him, but then learning to get the strength of the Lord and and to get it to come up. What do you think? You know the amazing thing is that we can all do this. (laughs) There's a verse in the Gospels where Jesus says, of those born of women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And that verse has just jumped out at me many, many times. He was saying, all these heroes in the Old Testament, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, David, the prophets, they were awesome, but John the Baptist was the greatest of all of those Old Testament guys. There's been no one greater but who's least in the kingdom, us, the New Testament Christians, because we've got the Spirit of God inside us, whereas they just had Him come upon them from time to time, He lives in us. You know, it says that Moses' face shone with a reflection of the glory of God, but Jesus radiated the glory of God. There's a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it says we have the same glory and we change from glory to glory as we look on the Lord as in a mirror. As we gaze on the Lord, this glory that's in us starts to just radiate out of us just like Jesus. But it says that we, the New Testament, the very least in the kingdom of God, the guy who never comes to church, said the sinner's prayer and is just saved, is just going to make it to heaven. And he's a useless Christian. He's greater than the greatest in the Old Testament. Wow. Why? Because our glory, the covenant that we have is so much greater than they had. David was awesome. I promise you, the least of us, the weakest of us, the poorest of us, the one of us who knows the least of the Bible, we have the Spirit of God inside us, this power, this life, this strength, this joy. And all we've got to do is, it's as simple as this, just spend a little bit of time being intimate with the Lord. And it just starts to come out, you know. Just start, we change from glory to glory. It, just, it starts to radiate out of us. 